got work to do. How many of you need a pen? Do you guys need pens? I got fill in the blanks this morning. Yeah. Not just a, not just a, um, like I have a word search in case you find, like if things get boring or whatever. But know that the word search is based upon the Bible verses that we read, all right? So there's some redemptive stuff even in the word search. Actually, I find that if I doodle sometimes, that it actually helps me to concentrate, believe it or not, on certain things. But All right, so we got some fill-in-the-blanks to do this morning. And I'm going to talk about, because, you know, we had Black Friday and everything that's going on. Man, I actually hate opening up my internet browser. I actually have my internet browser on Yahoo News. So every time I open it up, like the headlines, I'm just broken. I don't know... Like, I need to turn it off. I think, I, I think this weekend, I'm like, I need to turn off the headlines because it's just nuts. Like, you know, part of it is social networking. Part of it is the fact that we have phones that actually can record stuff. I mean, everywhere. Audio recordings, video recordings, connections. So we know everything about everything that's going on. And, of course, the media that actually comes out usually is negative. They're like, wow, look at what this people did, or whoa, look at what these people did, or look at what this happened, or whatnot. Um, either way, so we go through the season, and, and I'm just, I'm just, it's just amazing. You know, we went from like the big sale day after Thanksgiving is Friday to now all the stores selling stuff on Thanksgiving Day, right? So I got to go, get up early on Thanksgiving Day so I can go get the deal or whatever. Or I got to be there at night after the dinner. So we're really nice. We're not going to break sales on you until, uh, until after you have an opportunity to eat. You're not going to be able to run as fast as the people that fasted, though. So if you want that fingerling, you're going to have to run really fast, right? That's like little, that's one of the hot toys this, this uh, year. It's like a little monkey that climbs on your finger or whatever. You know? anyway, anyway. All right, so, all right, so, uh, um, so we have this crazy season of time, and the reality of it is, is that I actually like the different seasons that we have around the Christian calendar to celebrate things. And sometimes we need, um, I remember years ago we went to uh, Pacific Garden Mission, and, and the pastor that was there, he had a, he had a couple really, we would always go during the wintertime, uh, right before Christmas, and he had a couple cool things to say. One thing that he said was, do you know the difference between you and a homeless person? A couple of bad choices. Just a couple of bad choices, that's it. And then the second thing he said was that sometimes you guys need to have a checkup from the neck up before you get tore up from the floor up. That's what he said. And I, and I think about that kind of stuff. I can't make that happen because I don't have the personality to say it right because you have to have a certain accent and a certain build and a certain way to say it. But uh, I, I do think it's funny and I can never forget it. And sometimes we need that in the midst of this sort of season and the scriptures provide that for us as we actually think about the incarnation of what happened and what God did, what he planned even before he actually put mud together and breathed life into the dirt man, right? Even before he did it. It says that he was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the earth. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit having come together to purpose a plan for redemption. And in the end, I say this before, and I'm going to sing it because I, I believe this to be true. In the end... God isn't just restoring what he made in perfection in Eden. He's making something better than what was in Eden through Jesus. We're getting something better. The kids that have been adopted into the Lord's forever family through Jesus are not just getting a restoration of a perfect life and being able to eat of the tree of life. We get that too. But he's getting us something better than what he even made in the beginning. That's what I believe. And the reason why I believe that, there's several reasons. 
There's a lot of scriptures that I can point to, but one of them is marriage will not exist in the resurrection, but it did in the Garden of Eden. It said that it was not good for Adam to be alone, so he put him to sleep and took some stuff out of him and made a woman. And in the resurrection, we don't have that. We have him and us. And somehow I end up being a bride. That's some cool stuff. And all of it's going to make sense in the future. So what, what we're going to talk about today is 10 reasons why God sent his son into the world per Jesus. Jesus is so controversial. Don't you love it? In many ways, I love it. Like, I love how controversial he is, and I also grieve over the fact that people can't see it. So I remember we had this track years ago where there was like this, in the track, it's like a little cartoon track, and there's a guy, talks about salvation, and he like opens this door, and there's like all of this light coming out of it, and he's like, whoa! And then he's like bringing people to look at the light, but people can't see the light because they're blinded by it, and that's kind of how it is. And this is a season when people... Um, have sometimes even softer hearts. I know like in my own family, I've had opportunities to share with my family members more like about who he is. And I talk about it as evangelism, but that's more of a kind of a scary word. But let's talk about who he is and how amazing he is and what a gift he is to the world. You know what I'm talking about? And sometimes it seems like there's more sensitivity, uh, that the, the Lord allows more sensitivity. So we need to be prepared. So there's all this controversy about him. And what I want to look at today is 10 reasons why Jesus himself said that he came. 10 reasons out of the Gospels specifically, and this is not exhaustive, there are more, and you might have some more, um, but these are 10 reasons why Jesus himself said, for this reason, I came into the world. By the way, this is crazy stuff, because I'm, I'm a 40, what am I, 47 now? 46? 46? I'm 46, so, so I never remember. So, <laughs> so, so uh, um, I have to look to Reg. So, we, um, so he actually, even, even when he was like 30, and, and you get this idea that even when he was like 13, he was missional, man. He was missional. When he's at my son's age, Aiden, when he was at your age, he knew that he was on a trajectory with a purpose. And, and he talks about this, and it's recorded in the scriptures for us. And we're going we're gonna to look at these ten reasons. And then we have to think in the end, then, do we have this? Is this just something that's special for the Son of God? And I'm going to give you a little sneak peek at the end. I'm not supposed to do this, but I'll do it anyways. Yes, we, got, we have mission. We have a purpose. We have a mission and a purpose, much similar to him. So many people have speculations about, about him. He's crazy. He's amazing. He's He's scary, he's false, he's not true. This is something that people made up. There's a swoon theory. The disciples stole his body, which is funny because it's actually that one is actually in the Bible, right? And we still talk about that. Um, John actually wrote years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, he said that you know that Jesus actually appeared to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. This is 1 John 3, 5. And then he also says in 1 John 3, 8, whoever makes the practices of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. I love that. In fact, there's this passage in Isaiah. I cut this one out, but I'm going to share it anyways. There's this passage in Isaiah where God actually says, I'm going to send a conqueror to kill the serpent, to kill the dragon in the sea. And I'm like, 
Woo! I love like the big movies, you know, like big stories. Actually, I like reading better than movies because I think our imaginations are better than what we can even get on the screens. Although we're getting pretty good with special effects and everything, but this is an epic tale of of a conqueror, like not just good and evil, not just yin and yang, but an an, an annihilator of all things wrong. This is what Christmas is about: the sending of a conquering. A hero, a champion, a king, who later on comes into Jerusalem on a little donkey, right, in rags. How veiled is that? That's just, God is like a wizard, right? He's like the best storyteller ever, ever. And the reality of it is, is that our story, this story, his story, it's in the nonfiction section of the library. You know what I'm talking about? This is for reals. This is real people. All right, number one. What did Jesus said he what did he say that he came to do? So this is like the little fill in the blanks on the piece of paper. If you need a pen, my son can get one for you. So, number one, to fulfill the law. This is pretty close. It's a little bit different on your piece of paper, but pretty much the underlined part is what you write into the little fill in the blank. If you want to do the fill in the blank. It's not required, by the way. Jesus loves you, even if you don't fill in the blanks, okay? All right. Matthew 5:17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. And in Luke chapter 24, he says, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary, Jesus said to them, that the Christ should suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he unveiled to them the scriptures of all the things concerning himself. The whole book is about him. The whole book. He came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. And in fact, in many ways, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, he makes the law harder. He makes the law harder. They're like, yeah, I don't commit adultery. Like, I've never, I've never been unfaithful to my wife. And then Jesus is like, yeah, but if you look after someone lustfully, you've committed adultery. Well, I've never killed anybody. Yeah, but if you have hatred in your heart towards another person, you're guilty of murder. I mean, like, he brings the heat, like, the reality of it all to it. And and then there's the one about divorce. I love that one, when he talks about divorce. One man, one woman, this is the way it's supposed to be, from the very beginning until the very end, from the very beginning and very end, and then the disciples are like, what? That's like the hardest teaching ever, Jesus. It's better that we don't get married at all. I mean, some of the disciples said that. They were even like, that's crazy teaching. But in, in our world, we know it to be true. He came to fulfill the law, not only from the, a lamb's perspective and the judicial perspective, but all perspectives of the law and the prophets. He fulfills them all. Point number two. Oh, yeah, I, I, I got to go back for a second. Romans 8, right? For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. He sent his own son. In the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. All right, point number two. He came to do the will of the Father. He came to do the will of the Father. In fact, on this one, in this particular one, in multiple areas in the Gospels, when he says this, people pick up stones to kill him. They pick up stones to kill him for blasphemy, which was guilty of a death penalty in their society because he called... uh, God, his father. John chapter 6, verse 38. For I have come, for, get it, I have come 
down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I have come to do my father's will. He knew this. In fact, this is interesting too, because I can tell you that even at 47, like, I don't remember life before, like, four maybe or something. I can't, like, if I think about some of my earliest memories. Yeah. So I can't, 46. I don't actually remember, I don't remember life, like, I don't remember life as a young person. And, you know, with Aiden and with Kate, of course, we're always like, oh, I wonder if she's going to remember this now. You know, is this something that is, she's going to be able to recall in her memory? But Jesus is like, I came down, man. I had pre-existence. Somehow he knew, eventually he came to the understanding that I came down from heaven to do my Father's will. This is why I'm here, to do what he wanted me to do. In fact, in other par- parts of the scripture, he's like, I always and only do what my father wants me to do. I never say anything. I'd like to have that gift, by the way. I never say anything that my father doesn't tell me to say. That'd be a cool gift to have. My mouth gets me in more trouble than, than pretty much anything in life for the most part. But uh, he never said anything. He did everything that the father wanted of him. Does that mean that he never struggled? No way. He struggled. I mean, look at the Garden of Gethsemane. He's like, if there's any other way to get out of this, Father, I want you to get me out of this. And then what does he say? Not my will, but yours be done. I have come to do your will. In Hebrews it says, Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. It is written of me in the scroll of the book, in the in the in the law and of the prophets. I will fulfill this. Go and find the donkey that no one has ridden. And when the owner asks you what you're doing because you're hijacking it, just tell him that the Lord needs it for a little while. We have to do this because it is written about me in the scriptures. And when he did the sign after the resurrection and he rode in on, on, on uh, Palm Sunday on that donkey... Afterwards, the disciples realized that it had been written of him. Isn't it interesting that God veiled them from the truth of his, of his humble coming into Jerusalem and the celebratory nature of it before his suffering and death, and yet he came to do the will of his Father. Number three, he came to bear witness to the truth. He came to bear witness to the truth. John eighteen thirty seven. I love the Gospel of John. He, he just says it over and over. I am telling you the truth. 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 And either he's telling us the truth or he's lying, right? And if any one of them can be broken, then how do you know which one are truth and which one is not? And yet we believe that he was telling us the truth. In John 18, verse 37, when Jesus had been arrested and brought before Pontius Pilate, Pilate asked him, so are you the king? Hey, are you the king? Are you the king or are you not the king? And Jesus answered, You said that I am a king, and for this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world. For what purpose? He's the king, people. He is the king. That's the reason why he came into the world. To be the king. I don't want his job. 
I would never apply for that job if it were on like a job site. There's only one person that could meet the prerequisites, and he's it. This is why I came into the world, to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. That's some crazy stuff. Somehow, his voice goes out into the world. And everyone who is of the truth, who hears his voice, comes to him. Every single one. By the way, how does his voice go out into the world? There's actually many ways that his voice goes out into the world. One of the main ways that his voice goes out into the world is through you and me. Through you and me. Through our lives and through our words. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of truth. How will people come to believe and call upon his name if they have not heard? I'll never forget one day it was... In a wintertime, when it was cold, there was this kid broken down on the side of the road, and Reg and I picked him up. We were on our way home from Bible study, like on a Thursday night, and we picked him up, and we are driving him home to McHenry. And I asked him, has anyone ever shared with you the story of Jesus? He's old enough to drive. And what did he say? No, I don't know what you're talking about. That's here in America, people. Like, in our town. They need to hear. They need to hear. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Number four. Jesus said that he came as a ransom. He came as a ransom. This is the one where some critics actually get kind of crazy. Because they look at Christianity and they say, that's like some sort of weird, messed up, like child abuse story where the father sends his son and then sacrifices, like kills his son to help other people. What kind of story is that? And you know what what the scripture says about that, that argument? That the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. That's what it says. So don't be surprised about that. But it says also that for those who are being saved by it, it is the glory of God that, that the humbling of what Jesus did in presenting himself to the Father to be crucified and hung and suspended between heaven and earth for hours and bearing our sin was actually love that was the motivator. He came as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is why I came. I didn't come to have a bunch of servants serve me and give me grapes on a vine and fan me in the heat and keep me warm when it's cold. I came to give my life for humanity. I came to kill the serpent. I came to undo what was done in the beginning when Adam took the fruit from his wife and he ate it. I am the second Adam. I have come to give my life as a ransom to redeem mankind. Not just one, but all who would come to me. Every single one. 
for this reason I came, not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. We have been alienated from God, enslaved by sin. In John chapter 8, I love the story where he's like, Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. But he who the Son sets free shall be free indeed. I'm telling you the truth. And the people there in the temple look at Jesus and they're like, what are you talking about? We've never been slaves for anybody. And I always, I always smile at that when I read it or when I see it. Because I'm like, did they just forget that they spent 430 years as slaves in Egypt? We've never been a slave for anyone, to anybody. And Jesus said, no, if you commit sin, you are a slave to sin. But he who the Son sets free will be free indeed. And if you know what I'm saying, that's what unlocks worship and the raising of hands and the delight that is ours, even in our infirmities, because of the freedom that Christ brings. He came as a ransom. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive redemption, adoption as sons. In Hebrews it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. That verse right there is crazy, right? That's an epic right there. This is this this right here can be this one verse right here. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself became a baby and 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 heart, heartbeat with blood pumping through his body and arteries and veins and lungs and he became flesh and blood so that he could die. That's why he came, so that he could die. But in there, it says, so that he could destroy Satan. That's, that's some epic, crazy stuff. But so that it's, it's like backward stuff. Haven't you ever seen that before? Like the last will be first and the first will be last. And it's, it's greater to give than it is to receive. And don't you want your kids to know this during this season of time? But there's some backwards, like our hearts are wrong and we need them to be chiropractically readjusted in the opposite way. And somehow there's victory in death. And by the way, that's the same for you and me. We don't have victory unless we lay ourselves into the death of Christ and we die with him. Now the good part is, is that once we come through that death, we're raised in the newness of life. Victoriously. Victoriously. Number, number uh, five? five? Okay. Number five. He came to glorify God in his death. John 12. This one's a little bit longer passage. Jesus said, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. This, this passage in John 12 is really crazy because he's kind of hanging out with the disciples. He's teaching. He's doing some things. And then these Greeks show up. 
And, and they come over to, I think, Philip, and they're like, hey, we want to talk to, to Jesus. And they go over to Jesus, and they're like, hey, there's these Greeks people here that want to talk to you. And all of a sudden, like, whatever it was, there was a trigger. There was a trigger in, in his life, apparently, when you read the narrative. There's a trigger in the narrative when, when they come to him and they say, hey, there's these people here that want to talk to you. All of a sudden, he just goes into this story about, whoa. It, it was like he knew the moment was coming when these individuals were going to speak or ask to speak with him. And he immediately goes into this passage to say, now that they have come, now that the door has opened, I am almost at the threshold of my passionate suffering. My soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Shall I go to my father and ask him to deliver me from this hour? But for this purpose I have come. This is why I am here. They didn't even get it. We read this 2,000 years later and we're like, yeah, we get it. They didn't know what in the world he was talking about when he said this. Yet it was recorded for us so that we might have hope and understand he was on a mission for you and for me and for the whole world, every single human being ever. Then a voice came from heaven, or Jesus said, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And the crowd stood there and heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And then Jesus answered and said, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Listen, shall I look at the whole context. I've come to die. Father, glorify your name. The Father says, I'm going to glorify my name, and I'm going to glorify it again. How? In his son's death. In his son's death. And then Jesus says, this voice has come, not for my sake, but for yours. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people unto myself. And Satan, you cannot keep my kids from me. You cannot. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. The people knew it. They heard it. They talked about it after his death and resurrection. Remember the voice that we heard when he was in the temple? And he said, should I be delivered from this hour? Do you remember hearing it? It was like thunder when he said it. Yeah. Even better than the Imagine Dragons song. Although I like thunder, actually. I like that song. Anyway, all right. Thunder. Hear the thunder. I, I hear Jesus everywhere in those songs, you know. <laughs> He's all over the place, man. He's like, we don't, we don't really get it. Like, I, and I still see, like, I feel like I'm, like, in a Coke bottle. Like, I don't see. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, I asked him to remove the veil. He is proclaiming his goodness every day, all the time, to all people. And we don't see it. There's even a thought. There's even a thought that the sound of our breathing is equated to his name. How crazy is that? Does it sound right, though? That, his, that our breathing actually is like our name, so that when we breathe, we're actually saying his name, and we don't even get it. Like, we don't get it. And yet, his faithfulness knew every morning. And then he unveils the beauty of it all. And Jesus, oh, this is crazy stuff, man. Crazy. All right. Number six. He came to call sinners to repentance. Luke chapter 5, verse 31 and 32. Jesus answered them, 
Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come. Here's an opposite, right? So it's one of those knots. I always hate these things, like in multiple choice questions, where they start throwing like negatives in there, because then I'm always like, oh, did I? Okay, I got to read it right. You know, is it a not? Is it a not not? Or is it a not not not? And then if there's a contraction in the not, then you have to like, okay, this is a negative times a positive times a negative. So in the end, it's a not. It's not a not. It's a, you know what I'm talking about? So he actually says, I'm, I'm, I'm doing seventh grade math again. Could you get it? I'm doing seventh grade math. All right. Those who, so I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. That one is a, that one's tough, right? Because the crazy part about it, when you read the narratives, the people knew he was making fun of them. They're like, you talking about me? Are you talking about me? Yeah. I did not call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. I'm not a sinner. I have Abraham as my father, all right? I don't have sin. I've never sinned. I've never been a slave to sin. I've never been a slave at all. I've just loved God my whole life. I have not come to call you to repentance. You will have a different judge over you. There's some scary stuff, right? And then he was always, he was always just like poking them with his, with his teachings like this. But in reality, he's being merciful. He's giving them an opportunity to recognize that their arrogance is keeping them from God. Their arrogance is keeping them from God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And every single one can come. Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to seek and to call sinners to repentance. The call is based upon the fact that he came as a ransom. It happens. Number seven. He said, I came to give sight to the blind. This is another one of those where he was, again, it's a picture of our salvation. It's also a picture of the hardness of sin that can come into the lives of individuals that keep them from him. Jesus, in John chapter 9, verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. John 12, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in the darkness. He came to give sight to the blind. Part of that is also he came, and in many ways his coming, this is the scary part, brings judgment to those who refuse to see the light. To those who refuse to see. Jesus came to open up eyes so that we can see the light and walk in it. Our problem isn't just slavery needing ransom or lostness needing a call. Our problem is also moral blindness and he's come to open up our eyes. And it's so hard, our arrogance is so hard when the light begins to shine, not just on the fact that we're like, yes, what that young man did was wrong when I read it in the, in the, in the headlines. In fact, I think that we like those sorts of of, of headlines, because what we do is what we do, what our hearts do with them. Think about how wicked this is. Think about how deceitful our hearts are with these headlines. What do we do with those headlines? I'm not that bad. I would never do that to my grandmother. I would never do that to my child. That would never happen to me. I would never be that way. What are we doing when we do that? We're building up our case about our own personal moral righteousness. And the Bible doesn't leave any room for that at all. It does not leave any 
room for that at all. Last night, the headline was a youth pastor in Washington State at Thanksgiving dinner pulled out a gun and shot his family. A youth pastor. And the comments were, yep, see, doesn't really matter whether you're like a Christian or not. All you need is a gun and a little bit of anger. And the reality of it is, the Bible puts forth that that story as true. It puts forth the story that all of our hearts are desperately wicked. Desperately wicked. I actually, uh, I like movies, so I'm going to use a movie, movie illustration here. Superhero movie. Uh, the Heath Ledger Batman movie, if you guys know what I'm talking about. I actually believe with the theology of the Joker in that movie is closer to the Bible than Batman's theology. Because if you don't know the story, he actually put, put, these two, he put bombs on these ships. And, he's, and his idea was, given the right situation, good people are going to make a bad decision. And I'm going to prove it, people. Because no one is good. And I'm like, yeah, all right, you're getting closer to Jesus' teaching. We need uh, redemption. Don't use the headlines to justify that you are more right than others. Use the scriptures as the rule for your heart and my heart. And let the light shine in them in such a way, even though this is difficult, and illustrate the depravity that we have, and then let him do the surgery on it. Because he'll remove it. He'll remove the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh and fill us with the spirit and let us begin to walk and move as Jesus would. I could not have done it. He is my Iron Man suit. You get it? He lets me fly and do stuff that I would never be able to do without him. And the cost is my own death. I must die so that he must live. It's the same for every human being. I am not better than others at all. The Bible does not paint that picture. He's come to give sight to the blind. Number eight, Jesus, this one's really hard. I'm sorry about this one. Some of you actually know this one more than others, and it it hurts my heart because if you know Jesus, then uh, you've probably experienced this. And this one is a mystery. I actually ask him this uh, a lot. I'll share my story in a second. Christ came to divide households. He came to divide households. This is hard. Because I'll be honest with you, like I, when, I, when I read this passage, when he talks about this, about his purpose to come to divide households, I ask him the same thing. You want to know what my question is? And probably some of you have asked the same thing. How can the Prince of Peace bring division to a home? Didn't you come to bring peace? We sing Christmas hymns about, no, uh, no, peace on earth, goodwill to men. Hey, Jesus doesn't say that at all. He doesn't say that in this passage. He actually says, do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. Hey, is it okay to sing those hymns then? I'm just asking. And the answer is yes. But make sure you understand the fulfillment of what you're asking for. It might not mean peace on earth in your home on Christmas Day or with your family members. It's peace on earth when Jesus comes back and rules and reigns. And even then, apparently in the millennial kingdom, there's still going to be some rebellion going on. All right? So 
make sure that you understand what it is that you're singing and what the Son of Man actually says so that when you go into the world and you see division and, and uh, strife specifically around the person of Jesus Christ, you understand it. By the way, this is not a division that occurs because you make a bad decision and are rude. Okay? This is not you being a jerk and then saying, well, that's Jesus' fault that you guys are a bunch of, you know, whatever you are. This is about uh, Jesus himself, whom you have invited into your home, and his presence in your house is creating division in the lives of people that want to live in the dark. You've actually turned the light on, and it's brighter than a halogen light, and the people in your family are like, I don't like it here. I don't know what's going on, but it's not right. Do you know what I'm talking about? If you know what I'm, I'm talking about, more experiential than, um, than like theological, but this is what Jesus said. I have come, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. A sword. For I have come to set man against his father and daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. In Luke, he says, I have come to cast fire on the earth. Do not think that I have come to give peace on earth. No, I tell you, rather I have come to bring division. For from now on, one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. And they will be divided, father against son, and son against father, and mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, and mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. These are the words of Jesus. And just because we're living in the United States doesn't mean that this is very real in the lives of his children in other parts of the world. And sometimes people are bringing guns into churches, people. Don't be a jerk. Invite Christ in. Don't try and bring the division. He's going to bring it on his own. It's your job and my job just to love. That's our job. In fact, the scriptures actually say that we are to be gentle in our correction and peaceable people with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. We're not supposed to be argumentative jerks. And then saying, oh, well, that's just what Jesus brought. Because uh, I, I, I need to wield the sword, so I need to stab people with it. It's his sword, not our sword. All we do is love him and love others with peace and gentleness. All right. He does the rest. The reason for the division is that they don't believe, Right? So the best thing you could do is pray for them to see the light. All right, number nine. He came to save from divine condemnation. <clears throat> John three seventeen and 18. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. 
John, again, Jesus said in John 12, If anyone hears my word and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And then in Luke, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. This is where we get into adoration. That if you know this about him, you personally have experienced this yourself, this is where you're like, dude, I am sold out to this person. Everything that I am is his. He, he gave it all for my deliverance. There is not one area of life that I will retain control of. If he asks me for it, I will give it to him. He is my Savior. And Lord, Adonai. You know, in the book of Romans, it says that there's a mystery here. Although I actually think that there's some, I keep a pulse on this as I serve the Lord and the world. In the book of Romans, it says that no one can say that Jesus is their Lord without the Spirit's empowerment. So somewhere, you know that people say it. Like they, they raise their hand at the evangelistic seminars or whatever. Or they might even say, yeah, I believe in Jesus or whatever. But somewhere along the lines, there's a drawing that must happen, an illuminating factor that destroys people and breaks them. And then, and, and then a resurrection that occurs. And the book of Romans says a confession that takes place. This is why we used to do altar calls, by the way. A confession. You must publicly confess your faith before others. If you do not confess me before men, neither will I confess you before my Father. But if you do, I will make much of you. And I'm telling you, we don't do it because we have to do it. We don't go door to door because we have to. We do it because it is our delight. We confess him as our Adonai because he is our breath. He is our very life. He came to save from divine condemnation. Number 10, last one. He came to give us eternal life. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Again, in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And then in John 10, a little bit later, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. In John 17, when Jesus defined what eternal life was, he actually says, and this is eternal life. And this is eternal life. So let's ask the questions backwards. Unless you have the verse memorized, you already know what it is, right? Hopefully you do. Is, is eternal life? Dirt man stops breathing, gets put in the ground. Later on, Jesus says, dirt man, come forth. Carrie gets raised from the, the dead, and then I have eternal life. Is that eternal life? 
is, is eternal life just like the Webster's number one definition? Eternal life, live forever. You're going to live forever. Living forever, I will breathe and live forever. Is that eternal life? Jesus actually defined eternal life as this. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is not something that happens later. That's all fruit stuff. Eternal life is something that you and I have now if we have confessed our faith and put our entire trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and hope of everlasting life is ours. Now, we begin to know him. He begins to relate with us. He will talk with you through his word and by his spirit and through his creation. He will commune with you. He will direct you. He will ask you to do things for the glory of his name, even as he did with his son. Why? Because it is a relationship. You know him. You have knowledge of him. Thus the point in the end. What's the application of something like this? Ten reasons why Jesus came into the world. And it is, namely, if you don't know him, the easiest application is cast your care upon him. Come to him now. You don't have to wait for December 25th. And don't, don't listen to the craziness of all of the, the, the buy this, buy this, it's Cyber Monday Black Friday deals and all the other thing. Don't lose him in the midst of it. Because the reality of it is, is that we can let... You, you, if you're, he will not be overcome or eclipsed by anything. He's too bright for that to happen. However, he will not force himself on you. And he says, come. And I say, in agreement with the scriptures, don't wait. What are you waiting for? Do it now. Don't wait. And... His table is always open for you to cast your care upon. For those of you who are believers, the application is, if the Son of Man knew his purpose, do you know yours in him? Has he given you a purpose? Because the scripture says in the book of Ephesians, Right after it says that, for by grace we have been saved through faith, and it's not of ourselves, that is, the faith is not of ourselves, it is a gift from God, not as the result of works, lest anyone should boast. It says that you and I, as believers, and if you cast your care upon him today, for those of you who have not believed, it can be yours today as well, you have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that you can walk in them. I'm telling you, Ephesians clearly says that you and I as believers have a purpose on earth beyond just living and breathing. He wants us to do something. He has a mission. Primarily, it's all wrapped up in loving God and loving others. But there's some skin on it that he will define for you and for me. It's a gift. Walk in it. If you do, your joy will be maximized. If you run from it, I know this because I've done it, 
uh, you will not be happy. And he will shepherd you back to the path because he's faithful and he loves us. Find yourself in him and enjoy the season and pay attention because he will make you conscious of opportunities to make much of him. When the door opens, and ask him for them as well, take advantage of it and be bold in the midst of it. There's nothing like the light of our king. Father, we give you thanks. Be glorified this season, we pray. In our lives, every day, every minute, in Jesus' name, amen.